Well, you can go to Matthew chapter number 5 again, and uh, we will be looking at this morning the last of the Beatitudes. And uh, it's been really enjoyable. I've really enjoyed uh, going through these. Um, it's almost been like a little series within a series, within a series, uh, because we're we're in a series on the book of Matthew, and the Sermon on the Mount is kind of uh, one part of that, so maybe that's a little series in itself. And, and the Beatitudes are maybe a little chunk of the Sermon on the Mount that have been their own kind of series. So uh, maybe you've been bored over the last eight weeks. Maybe you've just been waiting to move on to bigger and better things. Um, hopefully not. Hopefully, that, hopefully you've learned and grown, uh, as I have as well. I've thoroughly enjoyed studying, and uh, we're going to jump right in. So I'm going to read uh, from Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, down through verse number 12. And we'll read for the first time all of these um, as one. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When we started uh, this section a couple months ago, we asked the question on the first week, what does it mean to be blessed? And uh, really looking at the Bible definition of, of blessing and how the scripture uses the word, uh, we discovered that to be blessed means to be happy, but not merely emotionally happy. It means to be fortunate, but not merely in the sense of having good luck. It means to be congratulated, not as those who have earned some special applause, but to be blessed is to be in the good way. In the first beatitude, we found that those who are poor in spirit are the blessed ones. They are in the good way, even though they recognize that they are in such spiritual poverty that it can't be overcome. But they are blessed because every, not everyone knows their condition. Not everyone realizes that they are spiritually poor. And the blessing for them is a kingdom blessing. The mourners are blessed. Those who recognize the spiritual poverty, the spiritual bankruptcy, and mourn over that condition in their lives and in society. There's a comfort for those mourners, a comfort that is realized in the gospel and in Jesus' new creation. The meek are blessed. They're blessed even though they don't fight back, even though they don't stand in self-confidence and high self-esteem. It's not the strong and belligerent conquerors who will stand on the last day, but those who meekly submit to the sovereignty and lordship of Christ. The hungry and thirsty are blessed because knowing their spiritual condition, mourning over it, realizing they cannot bring themselves out of it, they hunger and thirst after God and his righteous ways. And they are promised that that hunger 
will be satisfied. Those who display mercy are blessed because they stand in a constant stream of God's mercy. The pure in heart are blessed because their ultimate desire is God. It is to see him, to see his beauty, his majesty, his righteousness, and the promises that they will see him. The desire of their souls is met and will be met in the gospel of Christ. The peacemakers are blessed because they do the will of God in making and seeking restoration. And they will be seen, and they are called the sons of God. As we read down through these, really all of these things are countercultural. They are maybe uh, contra-normal. None of these are our first inclinations for any person. None of them can be claimed really as a personality type. Yet I would say that it's possible to see the goodness in many of them. It's possible to see goodness in being meek rather than being aggressive. It's, it's possible to see the good in being merciful rather than self-centered. It's possible to see the good in being a peacemaker rather than a troublemaker. It's, it's possible to see good in some of these from a human standpoint. Um, you may be able to convince a disinterested party that these way of Jesus or these ways of Jesus are beneficial in their natural sense, that there is good value in seeking this way of life for its immediate goodness. In other words, if you live in these ways, your life will be better because of it. But that prospect is kind of lost when we get to this last beatitude. If Jesus was trying to make a case for following him on the basis of earthly benefit, well, from a human standpoint, he kind of blows it when he comes to beatitude number eight. Meekness, sure. I can see that, Jesus. Mercy, yeah, that sounds like it could be nice. Peacemaking, yeah, I can see the benefits in that. And then Jesus says, as it were, at the end of all of this, this blessed way is probably going to lead you to persecution, to suffering, to slander, to revilings. And that is the blessed way. If we were looking at this from human eyes, it seems like Jesus might have just pulled a bait and switch. <laughs> he gives us all of these good things, all these blessings, and then he says, by the way, you're probably going to be persecuted for this. But of course he didn't. He didn't pull a bait and switch. Because none of these blessings, none of these beatitudes come from what we want, really. None of them come from just earthly inclination. From the very beginning, blessed are the poor in spirit. He makes it clear that this way is, earthly speaking, backwards. And that is no more clear than when he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
Now, when we look at this passage, we must realize immediately that there's probably a pretty significant disconnect in our understanding and our concept of persecution. Because we, at least as United States citizens, have been afforded such docile conditions, really, in our history, in our religion, at least recently, that we have almost lost the category of persecution as being both a blessing and an expectation for disciples of Jesus Christ. But we should temper, we should, uh, we should kind of push down any concept of privilege or any expectation of lack of suffering with Jesus' words here and also Jesus' words in other places. Think of what he said in John 15. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. That statement, the, the beatitude here in Matthew 5 and other passages where Jesus speaks about these things, they are incredibly important for realizing and understanding the scope of what Jesus teaches about following him. If we take Jesus' ethics but despise these kinds of statements, we are still left with a unique kind of emptiness. For in that essence, we are really saying Jesus was a wise, ethical teacher who was perhaps a little bit too fanatical. Now, none of us in this room would voice that opinion, but desiring the earthly benefits of righteousness without the costly price of discipleship is kind of equivalent to a half-truth. Here's a big idea for today. Christ's Persecuted followers are the blessed ones because their final breath on earth is a realization of the eternal value of following Jesus. So we ask our questions one more time. Firstly, what is persecution? What is persecution? Well, by definition, persecution is known as being subject to systematic harassment or attack due to your religious belief or affiliation. Now, at its basic meaning, the word that Jesus used means to be pursued, to be chased, to be driven away, to be harassed, or to be hunted. Now, all those synonyms make it pretty vivid. In other words, persecution isn't just bad luck or a series of misfortunate events. It's an intentional, personal, and motivated pursuit for the sake of harm. We can take cues from Jesus' words here and also in Luke uh, chapter number 6 to see what kind of actions he was thinking about. Now he says in verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he expands his thoughts a little bit in verse number 11, where he names two things. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So again, he speaks of persecution, but he sort of sandwiches that with reviling and then slander. Reviling and slander. Reviling is, is mocking. It's, it's insulting. It's, it's reproaching. That is, it's, it's to find fault in someone and to express that in a harsh manner that, that would do evil, that would do harm to their character. 
He also refers to evil speaking, and he says it's evil speaking falsely. In other words, it's, it's slander. That might be a one-word equivalent. That is, it's someone that concludes you are evil, and they make that, that conclusion known even though it's not true. They say that person is evil, and I'm going to slander them on purpose even if it's not true, <clears throat> or even if what they've concluded is not accurate. Now, there's more expansion given in Luke chapter number 6. A similar passage, Jesus says here, Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Here, the persecution includes being hated and excluded. We see that persecution really follows the pattern of the heart. Someone hates the persecuted person in their heart. They follow their hatred with exclusion, then verbal slander or assault. And as a result, or as the rest of Scripture indicates, as a real possibility, persecution often leads to physical attack and harm, even death. Now, of all the Beatitudes, this one seems the most severe. Again, you might make an argument for, for some of them that they would be naturally appealing. But for others, it's a stretch. Mourning, poverty of spirit, not so appealing. But there is none so unappealing as this eighth and final beatitude. Yet, we should be careful not to see this beatitude as somehow standing in contrast to the rest of them. In other words, don't, don't see Jesus as saying, these seven things are good, and they are the blessed way. But if it all goes wrong and you're persecuted, well, that's okay too. No, Jesus didn't add persecution to the end of the list to cover himself in case his followers were disappointed or if it didn't go well. He includes persecution in the kingdom blessings because it is as much expected of a Christ follower than poorness of spirit, meekness, pureness of heart, and peacemaking. It's not an appendix or an addendum or a just-in-case beatitude. Really, it flows with the rest. All of these blessings go against our expectations. If we begin to see any of them as merely cause and effect, then this last one realigns our thinking. Hate, exclusion, slander, verbal abuse, physical harm. Are, are you sure about this, Jesus? This is one of the times where we must be reassured by the fact that this is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Lord of creation, King of the kingdom, who is speaking these words. Any other speaker would naturally and rightfully be ridiculed for making this kind of statement, for inviting his followers to be a sufferer on his account. But in Jesus' case, there's a blessedness, even in persecution. There's a blessedness, even in persecution. The second question, what does this kind of persecution look like? What does this kind of persecution look like? 
A very important question really arises here, and I think Jesus answers it well in his simple statements. If Jesus says the persecuted are blessed, it is not enough to simply know what persecution is, but also what kind of persecution, or perhaps what cause for the persecution. Let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, there's a dangerous concept that seems to always float around in history in the sphere of thought, and it goes something like this. If I'm being persecuted, I must be on the right side of history. That, as a general statement, is about as false as it gets. To say that Anytime you're treated poorly or, or discredited or, or given grief or arrested or harmed or stopped because of something you've done or said, then we must be right because otherwise they wouldn't care. We can't follow that kind of logic. It's not only false, but it's ridiculously false. Uh, bad things happening to you does not automatically indicate that you are in the good way. In other words, any kind of opposition doesn't mean that you're walking down the right path. If you get a speeding ticket, it doesn't mean that you're being put down by the man because you just don't have freedom in how you want to drive. If you get fired from work, it doesn't automatically mean that you're being oppressed. It might just mean that you're a bad worker. If your spouse disagrees with you, it doesn't mean that your manhood or womanhood is being challenged. It might just mean you said something dumb. Jesus' statements here are not general statements about any kind of persecution and mistreatment. Jesus' beatitude for the persecuted is not a general principle of persecution equals blessedness. No, actually, Jesus' words are, are pretty explicit, and it's, it's exclusive in who he's talking about and what he means. So what does he say? That's the question. What kind of persecution is Jesus speaking of? Well, he says in verse number 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. His first qualification comes immediately. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, we've noted in the past that the way that Jesus uses the word righteousness in this sermon and the way Matthew uses the word righteousness in the gospel is really a very practical righteousness. It's, it's in its basic form, right living and right relationship before God, and it affects our manward relationships as well. It's, it's reflected really in the great commandment that we saw a couple weeks ago. Love God supremely and love others also. Righteousness is explained and delineated through God's decrees, his, his laws, his revelation. And righteousness is displayed perfectly and fulfilled perfectly in Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, we are blessed when we are persecuted for righteousness. That's the first qualifier. Am I being persecuted because of God's righteousness and his righteous ways in my life? Am I being slandered because I'm seeking to follow and obey him, seeking to love him supremely and love others as well? We can also ask this or state it in a negative way. Uh, this blessing is not for those who are persecuted because they're simply belligerent or rude. In other words, if, if we share the truth of Christ in an un-Christ-like manner and someone despises you for that, it's not persecution for righteousness' sake. 
Now you can say all you want in that case, well, they hate me and they reject me because I'm a Christian, but at the surface, they might just be rejecting you because you came across as an unkind person or as a jerk. Another example. Some have maybe an over-realized propensity to equate following a certain political leaning to following Jesus. Now, I don't want to step on any toes here. I'm about as conservative as it gets, so I'll put that here. But when people reject us for our political beliefs, we might feel religiously persecuted. And while it's entirely possible and very probable that you have arrived at your political conclusions because they align with the ethics of the Bible, we can't always equate political shame with persecution for righteousness' sake. Remember, someone can be a proponent of something that you believe is righteousness, but at the same time, they can exhibit a completely unrighteous lifestyle and disposition. And I would say that that is very common in politics. Someone may agree with you on some things that you would say are biblically ethical, but the rest of their life, they might be a detestable person. And if someone speaks out against them, we can't automatically say that that is religious persecution. Now, Jesus is very clear on what he's speaking about in this beatitude. We don't get a martyr's crown when our political candidate doesn't get elected, even though we wish we did. That's not what Jesus is speaking of. Now, this is further qualified by Jesus' own words as he expands his teaching in verses 11 and 12. Now, some would say that verses 11 and 12 are kind of like a ninth beatitude, and some would say that these verses really belong with the next section. You can, you can come to any conclusion that you want there. No reason to split hairs. Um, we're going to look at them together with this eighth beatitude because they flow well together. Um, verse 11 says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So if Jesus' first qualification is that we are blessed when we suffer for righteousness' sake, his second qualification, or maybe even an explanation, is more explicit. We are blessed when we suffer for his sake. That is, we are blessed when we are persecuted for righteousness as Christ's followers. That's why I titled the sermon today, Good News for Christ's Persecuted Followers. We can't always equate suffering for any good cause as the kind of persecution that Jesus is speaking of. Again, he's not making a blanket statement that all persecution is blessed. He ties the blessing specifically to suffering for righteousness, and not righteousness in a broad sense, but the kind of righteousness that is tied to his name. In God's kingdom, righteousness is intrinsically tied to Jesus Christ. Even in the practical sense that Jesus sometimes speaks of righteousness in the Sermon on the Mount, it's tied back to following him. And at this point, he's speaking directly to his disciples who listen to him. All the other Beatitudes are kind of in the third person, speaking of, of somebody out there. But when you get to verse 11, he turns it, and he says to his followers who are looking him in the eye, he says, blessed are you when you are persecuted, when you are slandered, when you are treated evil on my account. 
he looks them in the eye and tells them, you're persecuted, or you're blessed, rather, when you're persecuted because of me. It's as if he is, and I believe he is, equating the kind of righteous living that he's been talking about with following him. Now, these two qualifications are linked. Persecution for righteousness' sake, persecution for following Jesus. They are linked because in God's kingdom, you cannot have righteousness apart from following Jesus Christ, and you cannot have following Jesus Christ apart from righteousness. Now, if you have any doubt about whether Jesus intended to tie that much importance to following him, then just read the end of the Sermon on the Mount. We'll cover this eventually, but a little bit of a teaser. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone who then hears these words of mine, Listen to this. Everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't do them, or and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Uh, the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came. The winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. You see it here. Jesus Christ will be the one who grants entrance into this blessed eternal state. Jesus will be the one to say, yes, you are my disciple, or to say, depart, I never knew you. Jesus will be the one to say, yes, you listened to me, you followed me. There's no righteousness without Jesus. Jesus is the only one who perfectly fulfilled righteousness. He's the only one who could stand as the ultimate judge and arbiter over righteousness. And in his life, Jesus changed the paradigm of how we should view righteousness. Think of it. Before Jesus, it was very easy and tempting for a devout religious man to, to overlook his failings and say, well, I'm quite pleased with my law keeping. I've surpassed all my acquaintances in my good deeds and efforts. In other words, someone could say, when I compare myself to the best of the best, I'm pretty much right up at the top. It's like the man who went to the temple and prayed, God, I'm thankful that I'm not like these other men, even like this tax collector. But when Jesus comes on the scene and lives a perfect life, never sinning, never breaking the law, never excusing himself, never skirting the edges of obedience, then suddenly the standard was elevated to impossible heights. In other words, Jesus' righteousness infuriates the legalistic tendencies of men because if the goal is to be the best, we can never achieve it. Jesus shows us true righteousness. If we are persecuted for following him, we are blessed. If we are persecuted in his ways, we are blessed. 
Later on in the New Testament, Peter would take up uh, this teaching and he would pass it on to the new converts who were suffering, where he said in 1 Peter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteousness, or if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. I have a feeling when Peter was writing this letter, he remembered exactly what Jesus was saying in this beatitude. Because first, Peter says, suffering is to be expected. Don't let it surprise you when you go through fiery trials as a Christian. Persecution is to be expected for the Christ follower. In the same way that a growing believer should find himself mourning over sin, exhibiting meekness, hungering after righteousness, displaying mercy, desiring God above all else, and making peace, the growing Christian should expect to be persecuted for the sake of Christ and his name, for the sake of Christ and his ways. Peter says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, that is evidence that you are a spirit-filled Christ follower. The persecuted Christ followers is exactly who Jesus is referring to here. And it's exactly the kind of persecution that is blessed. At the end of this passage, Peter ultimately ties this blessing to the gospel. If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? What about those who don't obey the gospel of God? He says, there is no blessed suffering outside of the gospel of Christ. You cannot be a blessed, righteous sufferer if you're not a follower of Christ to begin with, which includes the truth of his gospel, his, his atoning substitutionary death, his resurrection, defeating death, claiming victory, his ascension, his ruling, his reigning as king, his coming return. Now, Jesus also, if we go back to Matthew 5, Jesus also makes another connection that even more speaks of the importance of his person and his nature. You see, he ties the suffering and persecution of his followers to the suffering and persecution of the Old Testament prophets. Now, persecution of the prophets would have been a familiar theme for the Jewish audience of Jesus' day. Look at a couple familiar texts that we read in the Old Testament. 2 Chronicles 24. The Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, and he stood above the people and he said to them, Thus says God, why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you've forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. But they conspired against him 
And by command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. There, a prophet was stoned and killed for preaching the righteousness of God. Another one in Nehemiah 9. Uh, Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their backs. Speaking of God's people following him or not following him, they cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Here in the story of Nehemiah, he's recording or re- reciting the history of how God's prophets were killed for imploring people to turn back to God. Now take this kind of thing. Jesus compares suffering for him with suffering as the prophets did in the Old Testament. And do you see the strength of what he's saying? He's saying, if you're persecuted for following me, it's the same as the prophets who were persecuted for following God. If you're persecuted for righteousness and for my name's sake, it's the same as the prophets who suffered in the Old Testament for righteousness and for the name of God and his sake. After all, these prophets were following and speaking for Yahweh, and Jesus' followers are doing that as well. This is a bold connection. And if any, again, if any mere man made this kind of statement, it would be blasphemy and treason. If I said to you, and I quote, don't take this and put this recording on the internet, just this quote. But if I said to you, if you follow me and you're persecuted for it, you're just like those who follow, or who follow God in the Old Testament. That would be blasphemy. It would be high treason against God. But when Jesus Christ says it, as the Son of God, and as God in human flesh, it's true, and it's blessed. Jesus, as the Son of God, the King of the kingdom, he can say that, for he is the God-man. So this countercultural, counter-expectation statement by Jesus is hinged really on who he is. And the blessing then, the blessing is very real because he is real. Which leads us to our last question. What is the good news for Christ's persecuted followers? What is the good news? Well, it's here that Jesus brings his beatitudes full circle. You remember what the first one said? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The good news for the poor in spirit, the most basic of the kingdom blessings to those who have, who have nothing figured out except that they have nothing. The blessing to them is that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of God. And the good news for the persecuted, the ones who have followed Jesus, who have grown in his ways, who, who have perhaps mourned sin, hungered for righteousness, shown mercy, made peace, And in the end, they have been hated and despised by the world for Christ's sake. The blessing for them is the same. It's the same. It's that they are citizens and members and subjects of the King of Kings. The kingdoms of this world may despise you, cast you out, exclude you, or even kill you for being a follower of Christ. The ultimate king gladly claims you as his own. Jesus says 
In verse number 12, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. It's as if he is saying to both feel and express joy because of this persecution. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. That is, in your mind, have joy, and in your life, exhibit joy. Why? Because the heavenly reward is remarkable. Now, there are at least 25 passages in the New Testament that speak of reward in heaven. And while our salvation, our justification, our eternal destiny is bought and delivered and paid for by Christ and the grace of his gospel alone, there is a major sense in our calling and in our walking with God that our, our works, even up to including persecution, are good. He, he requires them. He calls for them. He, he creates us for good works. And Jesus says, the reward you will receive, even in this, in following me even to death, the reward you will receive far outweighs the temporary experience of persecution. And in a temporary sense, we are numbered with the faithful prophets who have gone on before us. Hebrews speaks of many of these prophets, even those whose names we don't know. In chapter number 11, which is uh, the, that famous hall of faith, right? And it speaks of God's righteous servants who live to the end by faith. I want to read a little bit of it as we near the end here. Hebrews eleven thirty six. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. If we are persecuted for the sake of Jesus and his ways, then we are blessed because we are numbered with a multitude of martyrs who lived by faith. But as we keep reading in Hebrews, we find that ultimately our joy comes because we look to Christ. The author of Hebrews goes on to say this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings to us so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Think of it. Jesus, who calls us in this final beatitude to endure persecution, to find blessing in being cursed. He is our example and our victor in this very way. He endured ultimate suffering, ultimate slander, ultimate hate and exclusion, even to death, even to the Father, turning his back on him in that moment. And now he is seated and reigning as king of the kingdom. And he welcomes us in. There's some purchase and some weight to his words when he says, blessed are you who are persecuted. There have been many false prophets, wealthy evangelists, swindlers, who have promised great blessing for following them. Jesus Christ said these words, and just a couple years later, he would take them to his very death and pay 
for the promise that he made. And the reigning king now says to us, blessed are the persecuted, because theirs is the kingdom. I'll close with this one last passage. John 15, verses 18 and 19. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus is speaking to his disciples there, and he's saying persecution for the cause of Christ, persecution for the cause of righteousness bears the mark of faith. It bears the genuine and authentic marks of being called and bought and saved by Jesus Christ. It bears the blessed mark of distinction, the humbling mark of being Christ's own chosen possession. So blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven.